I cannot believe that this is the final morning of Kingdom Come. We, between the time that we spent uh, preparing the project, thinking about it, dreaming about it, uh, writing it, and then planning all of our sessions here, uh, here this morning, or here this, this session, um, it's un unreal. And I know you know exactly how that feels when something comes to an end like that. We have absolutely enjoyed it. I hope that it has been a good journey for you. It, I feel like it's been a very, very quick um, kind of tour of the kingdom of heaven as we live it now and as we live it here. And I hope that it's been useful for you. Um, I hope that it's been also a challenge to, to enter into the kingdom and to live in it here and now. It is, uh, it is the truth of where we're at. Super excited, I will say, about next week when Terry Greenlee will be here. She is a dear friend of mine, um, <clears throat> has been for a long time. And so I hope, I know that you will be deeply inspired when you hear from her, um, uh, her family's uh, water business, the uh, pump business called Pumps of Oklahoma. My husband actually works there. Uh, that, that became a dream for Water 4. And so they still have Pumps of Oklahoma, their, their for-profit business, but they started Water 4 um, when they began to dream and to uh, believe that it, within the span of our lifetime, we can solve the world's water crisis, that there is not a legitimate reason that there's a water crisis in third world countries and that, that those, those things can be solved. And I think we're going to see it, ladies, within our lifetime. Um, it's pretty, pretty inspiring and, and pretty wonderful. You're going to love her. She's also a, an elder at our church. She's one of our three female elders at the church. Um, so she's a fabulous leader in this place and, um, and, and greatly admired. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Bring your friends, like, like Sheila said, if, uh, if you have people who would like to hear about this. Um, they'll enjoy it. <clears throat> so Jesus is closing out a sermon He's closing out, he's bringing to a conclusion the best sermon that has ever been preached. And he does so, as many, many preachers have done so by following his example down through the years, and that is bringing us to a place of decision. There are choices to make. Uh, we need to decide how we're going to go forward from this place. How are we going to take Jesus' words? How are we going to listen to them? And are we going to just leave them behind and, and walk off and go leave this place unchanged? Or are we going to take his challenge to, to live deeper in the kingdom of God and to find that only there we have true happiness? Um, Jesus closed out the sermon this way. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and by the way, I'm on page 206 in your books, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And with that great crash, Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount. He brings us to this place and reminds us of the importance of not only hearing his words, 
Not just hearing them, but putting them into practice. Not just hearing the word that has been preached to us, the word that we've read and outlined and underlined and circled. Not just to hear the words, but to actually put them into practice. And so I'd like to take a quick run through of the entire sermon. So Jesus kind of tour, introduction tour of the kingdom of God. And apply it this way with each section that we discovered with each section that we uncovered how do what do we have to hear and what do we have to do what do we have to hear and what do we have to do so if you have your books turn with me please to chapter one actually on page 11 um, chapter one or what we called week one i entitled kingdom of god in that section we looked at the first 12 verses of the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 And the very first verse starts off with also a decision to make. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus saw that he was getting a following, that people, when they heard that he was going to be in the area, people were were gathering around to hear what he had to say. Some of our English translations say the multitudes the multitudes of people had heard that Jesus was in the area and they were gathering around to hear what he had to say. But Jesus saw them. He saw who they were. He saw the crowds. And when he did, instead of just trying to console them, comfort them, start talking to them, he climbs a mountain. He began to walk. He turned around and started walking. And I wonder how many times he turned back around to see who was following Who was following his disciples? Not just the 12 who were chosen and in place by then. They had already become friends of his. But the multitudes, probably not all of them, right? Some of them stayed in town. But some of them followed Jesus up that mountain. And it may have been, it was probably very hot. It was probably uncomfortable. That was probably not an easy trail, that, that, that they chose when they followed Jesus up that mountain. But when they arrived and Jesus sat down and he began to teach them, they began to understand themselves. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Ever felt like that? Poor in spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he went on through that section, blessed, 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 blessed. He said, you're blessed in whatever situation you're in, no matter how unenviable. You are blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you grieve. You're blessed when you're persecuted. You're blessed when you're right in the middle of conflict and you can bring peace to that place. And if you aren't, if you read through that list and think none of those really describe me right now, they will describe you at one point or another in your life. You are blessed. We acknowledge that because we have been invited into God's kingdom, because the kingdom is actually ours, it belongs to us, we can live there because of that. We are blessed regardless of the situation we are in. We now understand ourselves as blessed. That's why we put this. Can you guys even read this from back where you are? Can you see that that says blessed? Isn't that a sweet little sign? Blessed. I love, I have this word written on my bookshelf above, above my books. Every once in a while, I just, I just look at it and I remember 
that this is the happy place. The place of blessed, makarios, means deeply happy, over-the-top happy. We don't have a great word in English to describe it, so we use the word blessed. It makes it, it, it brings about the, the holiness and the sanctity of it, that we now live in a place where we can be truly happy because we live in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so what do we hear? We hear that we are blessed. What do we do? We follow Jesus up that mountain. We get Jesus in view. We, we keep him within the scope of our vision. We keep him within earshot. Because girls, if you are following Jesus, no matter where you are, if you are following Jesus, you're in the right place. It may be a mountaintop, it may be a dark valley. It may be a difficult time, it may be hardship, trial, trouble. But if you're following Jesus, you're in the right place. If he is ahead of you, if you can see his shoulders and you are walking after him, then you are in the right place. So what do we read? What do we hear? We, we hear that we are blessed, and what do we do? We follow Jesus. Chapter 2. On page, on page 47 in your book, you'll see the scripture for the second, for the second section that we broke out of the Sermon on the Mount. This section is Matthew 5, and we looked at verses 13 to 20. We looked at those two things together. And verses 13, verse 13 reads like this. You are the salt of the earth. And verse 14, you are the light of the world. Jesus goes from third-person pronouns in the first section where he talks about they're blessed, they're blessed. Uh, the poor in spirit are blessed. These guys are blessed when this happens. You're blessed. And then he goes to second-person pronouns, and he says, you you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. When Jesus described himself later as he would be preaching, he would say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. But here he looks at each person in his crowd and he says, you're the light of the world. We have the capacity to go out into the world. And as Eugene Peterson says it, and by the way, I already miss him. He's gone to be with Jesus. As Eugene Peterson says it, to bring out the God colors of the world. You, your salt, you can bring out the God flavors in the world. He could have gone through all of the senses. You can bring out the God sounds, the God colors and textures and tastes and, and feels. In other words, what do we hear? I'm sensational. I have the ability to affect the senses, the five senses of the people around me. I can bring Jesus, the kingdom, near to the people around me by, by finding out how can I be the God colors, the God textures, the God tastes, the God flavors. How can I, how can I sound like, like God? How can I bring out the God sounds, the tones in this conversation? We hear that we are sensational, that we have the, that we have the capacity to, to bring Christ to the world. And what do we do? We consciously choose in each interaction, in each conversation, we constantly choose throughout our lives to bring out the God colors, the God flavors in the world around us. We help people to see who he is and how he's interacting in the world around us. We have that capacity through salt and light. Week three, keep flipping. 
Go to the United, see, you probably figured this out by now, but you know those black pages are pretty easy to find if you flip through them, the, the, the pages that are colored in black at the beginning. And then right after that, we put the text of scripture for the day. Week three, I entitled it Kingdom of Peace. And this is the section about the law. This is the section I shared with you um, while I was studying it was very difficult for me. Every little cell of my body that would rise up in rebellion against Jesus being king and me not being in charge did so as I was studying and going through this section and teaching it, by the way. It is like I am in a constant state of saying, I want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. And in this section of the sermon, Jesus outlines laws. And he says, I'm in charge. I'm the boss, I'm the king, and I'm here. This is how he does it. He used this phrase, you've heard that it was said, and then he described a law, like thou shalt not murder. Okay, so we get to the end of that and we go, I'm golden, I'm good. And that's what the people in his audience were thinking too. Yeah, I have not murdered anyone. I have not taken a, a, a lethal weapon to another person and ended their life. But then he says, but I tell you, that anyone who so much is angry with a brother or sister has been disobedient to the law. He raises the bar, and he does this with six laws. He goes right through them. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And Jesus is clear. He says, you've heard the laws about adultery, but I'm, we're gonna dig down a little deeper and talk about lust. Talk about where that starts. You've heard the laws about divorce, but I'm gonna dig down deeper and I'm gonna talk about faithfulness. I'm gonna talk about the, the sacred nature of marriage. You've heard the laws about not saying oaths, but he said, we're gonna talk about truth and honesty. I'm just gonna say that I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. You've heard the laws about love your friend and hate your enemy. He said, but I'm gonna tell you to love your enemies. I'm gonna tell you to pray for those who persecute you. I'm going to tell you to, to, to raise the bar in where we're at with, with, our, with our laws. And we are going to find that Jesus has given us not only those, those guidelines, not only the court of law, not only the articulation of the laws, but the power, the power to live within them through his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, now that my spirit is here and invading this place, now that the kingdom has come, we are going to be able to live in a place that is completely different, at a realm that is completely different than what we have ever known before. The law is sacred. I don't know if you even recognized it, but this is a little law scale on the top of the shelf here little scale. This is the, this is the idea that, that as we put into one side the righteousness of God, and then we put into the other side who we are, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, it balances. We are now righteous. We are now holy. We have been declared so by the only one who has the capacity and the power to do so. He, that is, he has completely, fundamentally changed our, idea, our identity. And now he's simply saying, I want to invite you to live like it. I want to invite you to live out the fullness of what I've already accomplished in your life. And so what we need to hear is that Jesus is on the throne. 
that King Jesus is here and that he has taken over the kingdom. It is in some ways a hostile takeover. If you've been through a conversion experience, you know what, <laughs> you know what that means. It's a hostile takeover. He says, I am here and I'm in charge. That's what I was going through when I was studying this chapter. It was, it was hostile. I was like, I want to be in charge. And he says, no, I am in charge. That is what we hear. I tell you. What do we do so that we're putting it into practice? We listen to the words that he tells us, and we respond in obedience. As we respond in obedience, as we listen to the words of Jesus and then, and then enter into obedience to him, to raise the flag and surrender to his authority and sovereignty and leadership in our lives, then we find that we're living in the kingdom of peace. And I illustrated it um, with a story about speeding on my way to work when I get late and how it stresses me out and causes me a ton of anxiety. Wish I could say that I'd overcome that, but this morning looked a lot like that. <clears throat> and how it causes me to live in suspicion and anger against every other like commuter on the road. And, and how I just, I'm like in this state of angst when I arrive at work, it just, but when I live within the kingdom, when I give myself plenty of time and I don't need to speed and I don't need to live outside the law, I'm not wondering if every single car I see is a police officer who's gonna pull me over and give me my rightful reward. I, I'm at peace. That's the kind of kingdom peace that we can experience at the deepest spiritual level when we enter into this kingdom of heaven and we say, you're the king and I'm gonna explore your laws and I'm going to live in obedience to them because that is the only peaceful place to be. Week four. I'm now on page 109 if you're keeping up. You can probably feel the air conditioning of the pages flipping <clears throat> if you are keeping up. Jesus takes us from, in, in chapter three, we looked, it was like we were in the courthouse where we were discovering these laws of God. And he takes us straight out of the courthouse and he's like, we need to stop off and get our yoga pants because now we're going to the gym. And Jesus takes us to the gym in the next section and he gives us spiritual exercises. He talks about prayer, he talks about fasting, and he talks about giving of our resources. He says, these are the, these are the kind of things that you can do so that you can learn to live healthy and well in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we are going to find oxygen-rich environment, the kind of air we are not accustomed to breathing. The only way we can train our lungs to even take in the fullness of the air that we are going to be able to breathe in the kingdom is by practice and exercise, practice and exercise. As we learn to do that, we're going to find ourselves living at a whole new level of health and well-being. He puts prayer right in the middle right in the middle of the exercises, and then as it turns out, right in the middle of the sermon, he talks about prayer. And right there at the outset of the prayer, our Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy be your name. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come over my household. May your kingdom come over my marriage. May your kingdom come over my parenting. 
May your kingdom come over my finances. May your kingdom come over my calendar. May your kingdom come at my 11 o'clock coffee date today as I'm going to talk to a friend who's going through some difficult times. May your kingdom come in all of my relationships. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, in this place, just like it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive the people who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the enemy, the evil one. The kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. He teaches us how to do these exercises. He says, don't do it like the hypocrites do it. But do it like this. And then he shows us how to pray. What do we hear? Practice makes perfect. What do we do? Pray the Lord's Prayer. Let that prayer become part of the fabric of your being. Summarize it. Use different words to paraphrase it. And then say it. Say it to yourself. Start the morning with that. Let the Lord's Prayer begin at reset your consciousness your ability to think, your ability to go into the day every single day, the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come. In week five, then, I'm slipping now to page 145. <clears throat> we went from the gym to the treasure house. And we examined the treasure of the kingdom. And we found the kingdom to be the richest, wealthiest place that we could live in terms of spiritual blessings. We found that if that there are treasures that are treasures of earth and there are treasures that are treasures in heaven. There are earthly treasures. We're very familiar with those, right? We pay bills for those. And then there are treasures in heaven that are eternal, that never go away, that will always be there with us. They're in, in the terms of investments that we make, not in real estate, and not in things of the earth, not in uh, whatever it is, clothing, handbags, whatever it is, but we find deep investments that are eternal, heavenly investments, heavenly treasure. And the secret to worry, to getting rid of worry, is to put your treasure in the right place. We put our treasure in the right, way, in the right place, we treasure the things that are eternal, we treasure the things of heaven, and worry drips away then we find that we understand the truest sense of what it is to be secure, what it is to trust, what it is to have fidelity, what it is to have commodities, that all of these things become real and genuine and eternal as we learn to place our treasure in things that are eternal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that true? Couldn't we all testify to that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'd love to re-preach every one of these, but I better not. Next. It is week six. I titled it Desire. 
I titled it Desire, and Jill Galvin preached it, so, or teached it. <laughs> so, I can't believe I just said that. I, it was a mixture of preached and taught. Um, Jill, where is Jill? Wave at me, sweetie. There she is right in the middle. Thank you so much for teaching last week. I so appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for being a, a teacher. I love it. The section I gave to Jill was a goodie. It starts out with this, do not judge. Do not judge. Because you, you're seeing the speck in your brother's eye, but somehow you're missing the plank in your own eye. Jesus is saying, don't condemn. Don't judge others in such a way that it separates them from the unity, from the community of the people, of your own self, your own friendship, your own relationship, and the community of other people. Live, learn to live this life without a spirit of condemnation on other people. Learn to live so that um, what we're always seeking, always seeking, even if we must correct one another, what we're always seeking is unity and to be bringing back in to, to community, to the faith, to the people of faith, the people who are around us. Again, it goes back to this motivation. And, it, and Jesus gives us a prescription. He says, instead of condemning others, instead of judging them, ask, seek, knock. Jesus is sitting on his throne. He's taken us straight into the throne room, and he has seated himself there with his scepter. There he is in all of his glory. And if we have a friend who is in a, a conflict or a struggle or a trial, we can bring that straight into the throne room and say, I need help with this. We need help with this. My friend needs help with this. Ask, seek, and knock, rather than condemning. Bring those requests before the king who is capable of handling them. What do we hear? Ask, seek, knock. What do we do? You've heard it many times. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In chapter 7, Jesus, King Jesus, is describing to us how we live in community, in the kingdom, in the community of other people. Because in the kingdom, we're not alone. We're not in isolation. That's not how it works. We live amongst one another. Do not judge. Do not condemn. But pray for people. Ask, seek, knock. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Finally, week seven. Here's the chapter we're on today. At which we have arrived, the end. It's called Choices. <clears throat> and he starts with this one. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Enter through the narrow gate. What do we hear? We hear that there are choices, that there are decisions to make. Throughout our day, throughout our week, our month, our year, our lives, they're just a series of choices. Things that are confronted, we need to do this or do that, go this way or go that way, choose this or choose that. 
And all through these choices, Jesus reigns supreme and sovereign. And as we consult the king and choose the way the king would choose, then we are living, dwelling in this happy, happy kingdom of God. It seems trite to say it, but living in the kingdom of God is not a destination. It's not like a destination where we set up housekeeping and we just stay put and everything's fine. Rather, it's a journey. Jesus says, the gate is small. You're not going to be able to tote behind your past. You're not going to be able to drag your failures with you. You're going to have to leave those behind. You're not going to be able to bring along all of your anxieties about the future. You have to drop those, shed them, and leave them behind. You're not going to be able to bring along with you all of the conflicts and worries of the present day. All of that is going to have to go because the gate is very narrow and the road is narrow that leads to life. This is the road that he is challenging us to walk on. It's taking us back to the beginning when he saw the crowds and he started walking and he headed up the mountain. This is a narrow way. This is a difficult way. Are we going to follow Jesus? Do you find Jesus to be a compelling person? Do you find him to be intelligent? Do you think that he would be worth following? Do you trust where he might lead you? Then we must follow the king. We must follow our master. Jesus said when he was here, I am the way. He didn't say, I know the way. I'll show you the way. I can tell you all about the way. He said, I am the way. As we choose to follow him, we find that we are not at a destination, but on a journey where it is one foot in front of another, making sure that our shoulders are squared to Jesus' shoulders and we are walking straight ahead. It will mean a series of choices. Jesus talks about false prophets and true prophets and false believers and true believers. He talks about building our house on sand or building it on rock. All of these choices will stack up to equal the following Jesus life, the kingdom life. He is sovereign. He is present. He is demanding our obedience. Are we going to follow him? As you go to your groups today, I'd like you to talk about that. Talk about following Jesus. Talk about life within the kingdom. Tie up any loose ends that you might have in this Bible study, any questions that might be left hanging out there in your groups today. But let me pray for us as we go to groups. Heavenly Father, it's by your grace that we have received our King, that we have welcomed him into our hearts and into this space. As Jesus is here, already sovereign, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to surrender to his leadership day in and day out in these daily choices and to choose the Jesus way, to choose to follow our king whose road is narrow and sometimes difficult, but whose company is the company of the kingdom. 
And we pray, Father, that as we do, we will find what you promised, life and life and more life. And we ask it in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen.